Well, hello there, and welcome to another Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. Now, if you've not listened to MSR Mal before, uh, you are very welcome. Come on in, sit yourself down. If you've listened to Monkey See Monkey Review before, again, you are also welcome. I'm Scott, and each time out, I am joined by one or more members of the Monkey See family to talk about what we've been watching, including some recent releases, uh, those things that are flying under the radar, and some all-time classics. And we also get an opportunity to talk about the ever-shifting landscape of film, uh, sometimes defend maligned, overlooked, or underappreciated movies, uh, we also look at what's big and what's happening within the movies at the moment, which is one of the things we're going to be looking at today, as well as our regular pitch battles and our always expanding Spotify Tracks of the Trade Movie Score playlist. Now, as ever, as I say, I'm always joined by one or more members of the Monkey Sea family, and I've got two of the handsome gentlemen at the other end of the lines. First of all, we have the magical Mr. Christopher Commander. Oh, handsome, you'll make me blush. <laughs> And at the other end of the other line, we have the brilliant Mr. Kevin Haney. Hello there, chaps. Good to be back. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. It was uh, it was fun to have uh, a little bit of a break from you last time. <laughs> you <laughs> notice God. after the, the last podcast was actually shorter. <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not blaming you, Kev. Not directly. <laughs> of course, of course. No, absolutely. <laughs> For those of you that are missing mm-hmm. our newest member of the Monkey Sea family, Mr. Craig Woodfield, he is having a, a little hiatus this time out. Uh, so we look forward to seeing him again for the next episode. Uh, interesting little fact, and I, I've, I've not really mentioned this before, that it's actually uh, down to Craig that this is called Monkey Sea Monkey Review. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Oh, really? Way yeah, back then. Way back. I remember when you were talking to me about what the name was going to be. Yes, so I I opened it up to uh, to my my friends, including Kevin and Craig, and was asking for suggestions. And the first thing that Craig came out with was "Monkey See Monkey Review," and it stuck. So <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a little bit of backstory for you there. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, my nickname all the way through uni was Monkey, so that's where it comes from. So it's a it's an old <laughs> take on my my. One of my old nicknames. Yes, so, you are, you are seeing and you are reviewing. Indeed, certainly indeed be, I am. better than Scott C. Scott reviews. <laughs> indeed, <laughs> excellent. So, gentlemen, how have you been? Very well. Yeah, good. Um, good. The summer's starting to uh, gear up to actually, you know, open up and do work, which is lovely. And we're starting to have nicer days. It's nice, I isn't know, it? No, it's beautiful. It really is. In fact, I, I know I've mentioned going and attending the Great British Drive-In a few times, but I actually managed to go again when they reopened after lockdown uh, just last week. Uh, managed to go and see the peerless Jurassic Park on the big screen, which was fantastic. Sat in glorious sunshine with beautiful takeaway and a magnificent film and uh, took my and daughter. Wonderful company. And wonderful yes. company, yes. My my, my young lady uh, who had seen Jurassic Park before but never quite remembered it and absolutely loved it. I think it... Um, yeah, it really landed for her this time. And even when we had a movie day the, the next day, we are having a, a chill out in our pyjamas watching films, and her choice was Jurassic World. And she thoroughly enjoyed that as well. And I have to say, I know it gets a hard time. 
I actually quite enjoyed it this time. I think uh, it doesn't obviously stack up to the original, but as a just a piece of entertaining, you know, popcorn fun, it's perfectly passable. Uh, Could I hazard uh, Chris's awkward statements? Okay, um, go for it. I'd like to say that I enjoyed mm. Jurassic World more than Jurassic Three. I, don't, I, I, I think that's quite common. That's not controversial. Yeah, Jurassic I don't think. Okay. Yeah, All I right. don't think that's a controversial statement. I think, no, I think Jurassic, uh, Jurassic Three is regarded as the shortest, which it actually is, and um, wor- yeah. worst of all of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I I enjoyed Jurassic Park three the first time I saw it. It was it was fine. I was probably a lot less discerning way back then. Uh, I actually enjoyed it more than the Lost World, although the Lost World does have some kind of amazing sequences in I it. Rem- I remember Empire reviewing the Lost World, and they gave a quote that said, "Even though it's the it, the Lost World is not as good as Jurassic Park, of course, but it has thrills like no other movie." And I think there are set pieces and action sequences in the Lost World Jurassic Park that are. Mm. exceptional and i think us only spielberg could do and i think there's, yeah. there's probably a point it's probably the point actually where they come back to the city uh is when i would probably say J- the jurassic park as a series kind of that's when it tilts and you start going okay this is something exceptional that i've never seen before too okay well let's have some fun with some dinosaurs essentially yes <laughs> uh, and i think I, I my issue i seem to remember with the lost world was it just felt kind of choppy and didn't flow there, there was something around the flow of the film that I remember sort of way back then when I when I saw it that it just didn't quite hang together as kind of a cohesive experience. You kind of shifted from set piece to set piece without the kind of the glue that that Jurassic Park had. Yeah. Say so with with really likable characters and kind of the newness of it all it was uh I, yeah i think i think lost that uniqueness it peaks doesn't it i think in my opinion that the that set piece that action sequence where they're hanging over the cliff on the in the yeah. in the lab which is that's great i love that bit when they're hanging and she falls onto the glass and the glass is starting to break and everything like that that's, yeah. that's terrific so good and vince vaughn as well when hollywood were trying to market him as a kind of serious leading man as well which he yes. which he wasn't then he was then he wasn't now he is again <laughs> Which yeah, I I have to, I have to say in the right roles, I yeah I do enjoy Vince Vaughn. I think yeah. he's great, and uh, mine and Kev's love of the of his kind of calling card, his introduction swingers, is well known. Uh, so yeah, so everybody's best friend. Everybody's best friend. So gentlemen, shall we move on? Because we've got quite a packed schedule today. Should we move on to some reviews? Let's do that. Let's do it. Yeah, let's not talk about Excellent. Jurassic Park anymore. It's like current current <laughs> no. reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so the first of our reviews is not one of the Oscar t- contenders because we are going to be looking at a few of the Oscar contenders before the end of the show. Uh, it's actually something that's been a long time coming. Uh, it got a release in the United States last year via Hulu during uh, the, the early stages of the pandemic. It's Palm Springs. And it's just launched on Amazon Prime, uh, directed by Max Berbakov and starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti and J.K. Simmons as well, who's always great, great value. Uh, so the story of Palm Springs is that uh, when Carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or each other. Now, 
I've seen this, and I believe Kev's seen it as well. I have seen this, yes. Kev, how did you find Palm Springs? Well, here we go. It's your basic time loop comedy, which is almost kind of becoming a genre in itself. I think we had, there was a, a wedding one last year, wasn't there? I think it was called like Wedding Repeat or something like that. I can't yes. remember what it's called, and uh, which wasn't very successful. And obviously, when you think of time loop comedies, you always go back to Groundhog Day as the definitive Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, or Harold Ramis directed Bill Murray um, high concept uh, comedy, which has become kind of like, you know, daily lexicon. People say Groundhog Day all the time now and everything. And obviously, it's important to acknowledge it, it wasn't the original time loop comedy, but it's the staple of how things should be done. It's short, it's, it's sweet. It's the daddy. Yeah, it's the daddy, and that's what it is. And I think whenever you do a time loop comedy, or whenever you do a time loop comedy or not, it will always be related to that. And I think the beauty of time loop comedies is there's this kind of karmic sort of element to them. And I think actually Groundhog Day was actually adopted, wasn't it, as a kind of like a... Um, in I think it might have been China or something like that, as a kind of like it's a very a very spiritual movie and it kind of like teaches yeah. you things and everything like that. Now, Palm Springs is essentially Groundhog Day, but ruder. <laughs> yeah. Um, with a bit more swearing, a bit more sex, a bit more violence, I suppose you'd kind of say. Um, but I would say, in a weird way, even though its general kind of concept is very similar to Groundhog Day in the sense of... Um, uh, you know, you've got one person living the same day over and over again. This introduces new elements, like have even multiple people that are stuck in this time loop, up to three this time, obviously. Um, and what yeah. you do is you pair it with a lovely kind of couple that have got amazing chemistry. I think the pair of them have got great chemistry. Andy Samberg and Christine Milotti. And uh, J.K. Simmons is... J.K. Simmons is superb in anything. And I think he adds that extra kind of like third element to it that kind of stops it from veering off into ground, a bad Groundhog Day. So Groundhog Day aside, if you cast that out of your mind, this, I think, is as good an example of a time loop comedy as you could have nowadays while be still being in the shadow of Groundhog Day. So I'm going to stop talking about Groundhog Day now and talk about this. This, I think, is... I, I loved it. I, I thought it was great. I love Andy Samberg, but I think you have to be very careful with Andy Samberg, Andy Samberg as to what he's cast in because... The stuff he does with uh, Lonely Island and the stuff, I mean, obviously Brooklyn Nine Nine um, and everything. I think he works better in films like um, uh, what was it, Pop Star, Don't Stop, Never Stopping, that kind of like almost kind of mockumentary style kind of things because he's got this kind of real improvisational kind of element to it. So when you have someone yeah. that's known very well for improvisational comedy or a pair of them that are known for improvisational comedy, you then find it probably a little bit jarring when you see them in something that's actually quite tight. And it comes in at an hour and 30 minutes. So it's very tightly wound. A lot happens. And you think to yourself, well, usually with this, this kind of cast, a cast very similar to, to this, you'd have a lot of comedians riffing and they're probably a bloated two and a half hour runtime and then an extended cut with loads of deleted scenes that come out on Blu-ray a few years later or a few months later. Um, but what this is, is somehow it manages to have the free and easy feeling of uh, a light-hearted comedy, but some actually real kind of pertinent and real kind of... I don't know, a sort of deeper meanings, but still manages to kind of maintain its lightness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of that's credit to Matt, was it Max Barico, who's the director? Credit to him because what he needs to do is he needs to keep the ship on course. And I think it's a great yeah. concept, it's a great idea, it's a great evolution. And I think, other than unlike, and I did see it, the uh, the wedding one, I'll, I'll get its title up while, while you're talking in just a moment. Um, the wedding one last year that is an example of how not to do it this is an example of how to still do it and i can imagine when this was pitched everyone was probably very oh you can't do a time loop comedy i think this will probably be the one unfortunately that now 
it opens the floodgates to people going, look, you could, you can do it, because even though Groundhog Day still exists, Palm Springs came out, and that still managed to nail it. And I think if you've got a likable enough cast and a different enough story, you can do things well. And I think this was better than anyone had. I mean, when I heard it, it was at July 10th, I think it came out last year. I looked at yeah. it, and I liked the cast, and everyone said there was something unique about it. At one point, it had a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and I was like, there's something special about this. And when comedies get 100% ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, you know there's usually something special about them. And I've been looking forward to this for ages, and it seems like an eternity, yeah. um, you know, waiting for it to come out. And when it came out, it didn't disappoint. And I just want to do a shout-out to the score as well. The score is absolutely brilliant. And I think it was, it's only available as, like, an EP, because I think there's only actually in the film, believe it or not, there's only something like 23 minutes of score. But, yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I was very impressed. What, what, did, what did you make? Same here. I thought it was great. I think it's been a regular thing since probably the latter half of last year that I would type in uh, when is Palm Springs UK (laughs) release into Google and constantly checking and uh, so yeah for it to to finally turn up on Amazon Prime I was delighted about and it was yeah it was an appointment viewing for me I again really really enjoyed it I thought it was you know it was really sweet Uh, it had that kind of sort of spikiness to it as well there was a you know a little bit of the cynicism about it it was really moving and really uplifting as well uh, i gotta echo what you said about the chemistry uh, between the two leads they were both just so good together they, they really really clicked uh, and I, I really enjoyed the fact that you had the two perspectives that uh, you know, Niles, the Andy Samberg character, could have very easily been kind of the de facto lead, but they kind of give the Sarah character her own agency in it, and, uh, and she has a really sort of interesting, a really great sort of progression of her story as well, which which I I found was was really really interesting. I like that. Uh, I like that. I, yeah, I like that the progression of her story as well because you automatically assume if someone's stuck in the time loop, they're going to spend every ounce of their being trying to get out of it. And I like the conflict yeah. in that regards of the kind of you know it's another thing to consider isn't it and you know i'm obviously i'm not giving anything away but something to consider is someone you might find yourself at home in a time loop and think you know what i know what's coming every day i'm in palm springs which there are worse places to be stuck in a time loop it's not like bill murray's character who was stuck in you know Potsdam and it's all kind of cold and bleak and everything like that it's actually a lovely day in palm springs and you think to yeah. yourself okay cool i wonder what would happen if i got stuck in a time loop if i would actually want to leave you know, if given that opportunity. Yeah. And I think, you know, under the surface of that, whereas Groundhog Day, I don't think it, it you know, it, it dealt with the, it dealt with the humour of the situation, a little bit of the kind of the existential crisis of the situation, but there's some kind of deeper relationship things going on under the surface of Palm Springs and some revelations as the, the film progresses that just lend it that extra edge, uh, which was, which was really good as well. And, it genuinely made me laugh out loud, which I know some you get some films that purport to be comedies and you, they raise a, you know a, a chuckle or a, a kind of a smile of recognition. This made me do proper proper belly laughs at times. Uh, so that's that's always a good thing, and it just yeah it just made me feel made me feel really good. I think as well as the score, I thought the soundtrack was was really well done as well uh uh, (laughs) yes i thought the use of that at the end was 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 fantastic not giving anything away but the the use that that song really 
really kind of landed well and sort of got me right in the middle of my chest, weirdly enough, considering I'm not that big a, a Kate Bush fan. Oh, so, uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I think um, I, I think Palm Springs is, is cracking. I think it's well worth an hour and a half of everybody's time because it's really it's really tight and it it really it really works i would say if you if you're doing as i've been doing recently kind of a lot of movies back to back to try and cram stuff in before oscars i think this is a great movie to put in between two heavier movies or a great movie where if you think you go oh should i do one more film tonight it's short enough and bright and breezy enough but also kind of affecting enough that it's worthwhile so i think palm springs would be a great asset to any movie marathon that you might be doing recently to kind of like you know um palette cleanse it's funny you should say that because uh, palm springs was actually the first of a movie double bill that i did which uh which will bring us neatly onto our next film because the next film i watched after palm springs is the next movie we'll be reviewing but just to wrap it up uh you know from both myself and kevin it's a hearty two thumbs up and yeah check out palm springs on amazon prime now Okay, so we're going to move on to three of the big Oscar contenders this year. And, uh, the first of which is that second film in the, the double bill that I did with uh, Palm Springs. Uh, it's Lee Isaac Chung's Minari, which is a Korean-American production. And it basically tells the story of a family that moves out to Arkansas to basically follow their dad's dream of trying to set up his own farm and grow korean vegetables for the the influx of korean immigrants coming into america and the challenges that beset the family and i have to say it was it was a delightful little film it's it's a phrase that if you've listened to a lot of monkey see monkey review uh, podcasts before i tend to trot the phrase heartfelt out a lot but when you've got a film that's kind of really genuine in that that kind of emotion that that's that's a really it's a really good phrase to use and i think that's that it describes minari really well it's not an easy film the, the film can't quite shake there's this kind of this undercurrent of unease throughout because you know from the moment they pull up to this this new farm which is essentially a a field with a mobile home stuck into the middle of it that there's there's friction already there between the two parents and uh, that there are other things such as the the young son uh, who's uh, who's called David who's uh, played by Alan S Kim who is it's this great little seven year old he's again it's that most precious of things that we love on this uh, this podcast a, a really good child actor's performance um, he has health conditions. And they're kind of going into this blind, sort of buoyed solely by uh, the dad Jacobs, who's played by Stephen Yeun, who is best known as Glenn from The Walking Dead. And it's great to see him with a role that this is, I swear this is not a zombie pun, that he could really kind of get his teeth into. Um, But they're kind of buoyed by his absolute faith that this is going to work and, and sort of propelled forward by it. Uh, even though he is he is kind of a, a, a rank novice, what's kind of beautiful about Minari is is that as I say, all of the emotion in it is really genuine, uh, and it's it's so beautifully shot. It's uh, kind of the American countryside, and it's beautiful sort of static wide shots, and it's got this real kind of sunlit feel about it. And yeah, right across the board, I know I've already mentioned uh, Stephen Yeun, who has been nominated for. Uh, 
Best Actor Oscar this year and has, has been sort of consistently nominated throughout. He's got this real kind of stoic quality about himself. Uh, as I say, Alan Eskin was great. Um, and Yoon Yoo Jung, who plays the, the grandmother that comes to stay with them, uh, she won the uh, Best Supporting Actress uh, BAFTA a couple of weeks ago and had a bit of a, bit of a show-stopping speech where she basically called all British people snobbish, which which is great. Um, but she's, she's great as this kind of mildly profane, very eccentric grandmother character who, again, has this great story arc. And uh, Will Patton, who I know kind of best as Bruce Willis's best mate in Armageddon, he turns up in kind of a really really nice really odd kind of god-fearing farmhand role he's uh again another real sort of eccentric within that i think where minari really really kind of succeeds is as i say with that emotion with that family dynamic um that that it allows the sort of tense undercurrent to kind of bubble over but but it, it really holds you with kind of the the emotion kind of the feel of it it's 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 that sort of film that sort of takes you along with with that 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 kind of feel to it that um, it's quite sort of serene it's quite gentle but everything's very real about it and it, yeah it was it was great it's 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 a film that you don't notice but as as you as you get into it as you watch it it really kind of gets under your skin and really gets you invested in all of the characters because they are flawed and you know they they do make mistakes but you you do care about them and you want to see them succeed you want to see good things happen to them and yeah i i do recommend it i thought it was a it was a really lovely warm heartfelt film do you think uh, minari is now available for premium on demand streaming so i rented it through amazon prime but you can get it via uh, curzon cinemas and uh, a lot of the cinemas that are doing kind of virtual screenings have been have been offering minari as well to stream uh, so it's, it is a premium rental but you know, I think it's worth it. It's it's just such a really lovely, emotional piece of work. Well, I thought you I was about to say that actually. Is it is it the? I mean, is Minari going to continue the trend that Parasite started last year, or is it not quite up to those dizzying heights? It's not up to those dizzying heights. Uh, I, that's that's a real that's a real kind of step up in terms of. Uh, I mean, Parasite was the best thing I saw last year. I thought I think where Minari is a very different beast. Yeah, does it uh, does it smack of a good campaign behind it? And you know, not to obviously diminish the film. Obviously, that's generally films in that are nominated tend to it makes no odds how good or bad the films are. But it's it smacks yeah. of a film that's kind of come out of nowhere and will probably, unfortunately, um, unless it does, you know, hit big, um, you know, on the twenty fifth, uh, might might just kind of like fade into the into the background. I think there's I think there's a very real risk of that uh, because it there's nothing kind of big or innovative around it to kind of to kind of hang it on I guess uh, particularly when you think about the other two films we're going to be looking at and again that you know it's it's comparing apples and oranges they're they're very very different experiences I think where Minari has probably caught attention is with the fact that you know it's, it is it's beautiful to look at it's, it's a really gorgeous film and it's anchored by these these this family of performances uh that are you know they're they're, they're really good again i think uh i think there's probably one 
out of the th- out of the, the two nominations that I think were, has stands a good chance of winning. I think that's uh, I think that's for the grandmother role, but it's it's one of those ones that I hope gets an audience because people go, oh, Minari, what's that? And uh, when you when you see it, you'll understand this reference. But you know, it's it's wonderful, wonderful Minari. Uh, just on a little side note, and just picking up on the, uh, the the parasite reference, I actually followed Minari up the next day. So I had a bit of a film weekend, uh, which was capped off by the brilliant uh, cliffhanger. Um, but I actually went back to watch Bong Joon Ho's uh, second release, uh, Memories of Murder, that got a big sort of Blu-ray and limited cinema re-release last year, in the light of the fact that. Uh, Parasite had done so well and it hadn't been that accessible to get your hands on uh, in England and again it was another it was it was another rental job but uh, just as a just as a little side point I thought Memories of Murder was an absolutely staggering film um, it's another, another one of those that that creeps under your skin really buries itself in there it's uh, it's a serial killer thriller essentially but whereas kind of the, the US serial killer thrillers have you know efficient cops doing the work to try and catch uh, an intelligent murderer, where Memories of Murder is kind of unique is that it's a really, really pitch black comedy at times because the cops investigating are essentially incompetent, particularly one who uh, he has a penchant for when he gets angry in interviews of physically drop kicking the <laughs> the suspects, uh, which becomes a bit of a reoccurring theme and uh, most music. But by the end of it, it does it, it does that kind of genre flip that you kind of see with a lot of Bong Joon Ho's stuff that he piles lots of different genres and different styles within his films, like such as Snowpiercer, which I watched last year, which has so much going on. Uh, Parasite, you can't kind of pigeonhole it as, as one particular thing. Same with Memories of Murder. It starts as this this dark comedy, but does morph into something a lot more uh, serious and gripping by the end. And I, I found myself, again, just for a, a period of, of kind of the end of the film, finding myself not really breathing. And when you get to, to the final shot, there's just this real moment that, again, it's just got you in the chest. And I really can't wait to go back and watch it again. Uh, so it's one that I, I would heartily recommend. I know it's it's a number of years old now, but just in terms of that sort of that link between the, the sort of Korean cinema and you know, how great some of the, the stuff coming out of South Korea at the moment. Yeah, really recommend Memories of Murder. So of our third film to review this time out and the second of our big Oscar contenders, we're going over again to another Amazon Prime exclusive. They've been cranking out some some decent stuff over there. But we're going to be looking at Sound of Metal, uh, directed by Darius Marder and starring Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook. Uh, the basic story is a, a drummer uh, begins to lose his hearing and has to come to grips with what a future looks like for him where he can't he can't drum and he can't do what he loves. So I've managed to to get to watch this. Again, it's another one that I've been looking forward to for a few months. Uh, Kev, I believe you've seen it as well. Okay, straight out of the gate, this is one of my films of the year. Now, I'm a big Rez Ahmed fan and have been for a while. And I think sometimes I found his transition Hollywood, you know, sort of stateside to be sometimes a little bit jarring. Even in one of my favourite films of recent years, Nightcrawler with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I found his character in that was kind of like quite 
odd and I was kind of a little bit like I felt he was underused and underutilized it's only in repeat viewings that I've gone back and realized that he was playing that spot on and that's how that yeah. character should be and I just kind of noticed it's sometimes when you see actors especially when all of a sudden they you know they'll do an American accent even Ewan McGregor used to be like that when it, you know in some of his earlier films when I see him do an American accent I'd still feel a bit like Oh, this is a bit weird, isn't it weird? This, I think, is the first time, other than, say, maybe Rogue One, which is obviously a different conversation, where I've kind yeah. of felt straight away that I'm, yeah, I'm with him. Okay, I'm believing this character immediately, and I'm going, not, you know, no disrespect to him. It's just sometimes I'm used to, like, some of my favorite Rizam and stuff has been kind of like Four Lions and stuff like that. But the moment yeah. you put him in an American film, you're aware you're watching Rizam in an American film, and immediately I think this character, I was just with him. And it's just just that simple bit at the beginning where you kind of go, great, oh wow, look at that, the way he's drumming. He must have he must have learned drumming for it. And you realize you think, okay, well this is great. You're going to see this guy that's put all this time and effort into this skill of drumming play drum. But I'd probably say the actual drumming, even though he learned it very well, and I think there was a kind of like talk about that he actually put some kind of he put stuff in his ears, didn't he, to kind of like dull the the sound of the drumming so he yeah. could kind of like sort of similarly you'd be going through something that this character was in a very kind of like methody way um that there mm. you realize that the film's not about drumming it's not about the tour um obviously um he's with lou played by olivia cook and they're in a kind of relationship they're both kind of like recovering i think and they kind of like they, they come out of you know they both need each other and what yeah. actually happens in you know, the kind of like being an addict and everything like that is you realize what you're addicted to and i think that's what the kind of film goes on and he obviously for some reason wants his life to continue exactly as it's continuing and yeah. he will you know do anything he can to try and get back and i think this film is about that really isn't it it's about the kind of like you have something that you're kind of aiming for and he's obviously chasing this kind of dream of having an operation which basically brings back his hearing while yeah. not actually looking at the stuff that's important to him which is this wonderful community that he's welcomed into and is it Paul, yeah. Ra Paul Racky who plays Joe who kind of welcomed yeah. him into this kind of community um, for the deaf and it said you know what it's not about fixing your hearing it's about fixing your head you need to come to terms with it. We in this community don't see being hearing impaired as a disability. It's just a different way mm -hmm. of living, and that's what it is. But someone that's come from a life of music, how how could you possibly adjust to it? And I think the journey that we go on, and you know the 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 way it kind of go, and you know, say that as someone that I do have, um, I I have I have some hearing issues, and some of the things in this, particularly early on, um, when he starts to lose his hearing, are spot on. The tinnitus mm. the all of a sudden everyone's muffled all of a sudden you kind of like i think it's great the sound design on this film because sometimes oh, you're, God, you, yeah. you're in a, you're in a moment with him and you're hearing everything or not as he hears it and then all yeah. of a sudden you're back out into how the world is and you actually hear those noises and it, it, you know it, it's that kind of thing where you start you start to question yourself and because of that you're with this character even though this character in relation to the life decisions he's made, the career he has and everything couldn't be further away from me as a person. I was yeah. with him the whole way. I sympathized, I empathized, and I wanted him to achieve happiness in whatever form that came that came yeah. about. And I, yeah, I was, I mean, to be honest, I'd probably say 30 minutes in, I was in tears. And and I, I was on the edge, teetering the entire film. And I was very, very happy with the end. Not to give anything away. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, there, there's a lot, there's so much to unpack with the film. I, again, I thought it was it was excellent. I think I probably, 
um, went into it a little bit at a disadvantage because Sound of Metal came after what, for me, is essentially going to be one of my films of the year. So I'd, I'd already been through quite an emotional experience prior to that, so maybe I, I'd need to go revisit it. But not to do the film a disservice because it was just brilliant. I think you picked up a lot there where you were talking about the relationship between Rizame's character and Olivia Cook's character that what they've got is that dependency to each other because they had a dependency on other things. There, you know, there are clues that she self-harmed prior to their meeting uh, because of issues that obviously come up throughout the course of the film. That you, the film never gives you these things explicitly. It allows you to connect the dots. It's it's kind of a show don't tell type of thing. But he's coming off of uh, sort of four years clean as a you know, with substance misuse and he's been with with her for four years and you can clearly see that with the music and with her that's his sobriety that's that's his new addiction that's his new dependency and it's almost that feeling that if he loses that he risks losing himself yeah, yeah. and and that's that's really you know, that that really gets you um you know in the heart particularly you know, me, me, Kev, and Chris, we're all, you know, all come from a background where we're all creatives, and to, you know that that passion, that love you get from being creative, and being artistic in some way, to have it suddenly taken away from you is a really must be a really difficult thing to not have that outlet and not be able to do the thing that you kind of feel defines you. Um, like you say, Kev, that in, in terms of kind of technical prowess as well the film is so so good with the sound design i think right the way through uh and again not not to give any spoilers away but from the tinnitus to the the dead silence and how it progresses throughout the film is fantastic i think there's a really great choice that in the early stages of the film and this is only really a mild spoiler but you spend a lot of time with people that are that are signing and it doesn't tell you the film doesn't tell you what they're signing and how they're talking they just leave you feeling as isolated as Ruben feels yeah. in that room and it's not crazy. knowing what's going on and as it as it, it develops isn't it subtitles yeah. are like teased and you can kind yes. of, it's almost like you're starting to understand as an audience the way he's starting to understand absolutely so it really does take you on that journey and i think you know on a technical front as well as as well as dramatically it's just so good. I think. I think of of the technical Oscars this year. I think this has got to be a front runner in terms of the sound design nominations. But then you've also got the fact that it's been nominated for best picture. I believe it's also been nominated for best director. But we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Riz Ahmed is a, you know, he's he's well deserving of his uh, nomination as well because he is. He is a bit of a force of nature in it. I think he's it consumes him, and he is he is so so good. Look, you know, at the the loss and the fury and developing how how he kind of comes starts to come to terms with it. I just think is is so so good. And Paul Racky or Paul Racy, I, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Who plays Joe? Who I've only again. ever seen in Parks and Recreation before. <laughs> yeah, same here, same here. And uh, he was again, he was so good. I he was. He was a real calm counterpoint to Ruben, and I thought I thought the way they they played together, and I think there was a really really nice again undercurrent of tension between the two, but yeah. a developing 
sort of love and respect between the two of them. I thought was was so well played as well. He had to, um, he had that kind I think, of that t- sort of tough love element, doesn't it? And it's almost like he it's almost like it gets to a point where he wants to yeah. he wants his he wants to be validated by him for the decisions he's making, but he can't get that validation. Yeah. And and the film, you know, it it is it, it is uplifting, but it's also absolutely heartbreaking at the same time for a great many reasons. But yeah, I I again, I think having somebody to talk about and kind of go over the themes, uh, I think it's actually probably developed more of a an appreciation in the film myself uh, because I I you know I, it finished and I I thought it was it was a wonderful piece of cinema Um, yeah do you know what it is i I think i'm in agreement with you in that respect i think if it had caught if i'd have caught it in a different mood i always talk about i've got this kind of ability to be in tune with certain films or frequencies of certain films no pun intended but it's that kind of thing where sometimes if a film catches me in the right mood and i felt for whatever reason that day um everything had lined up for me to be as invested in this film and i always talk about optimum viewings it wouldn't so i, I yeah. can't think of a better viewing and i don't i'm not saying that i enjoyed it more i'm just saying that i can't think of a better viewing of watching it or being as in the mood or as in tune with the frequency of what the film was giving me as when i first saw it to the point where like i said i mean i i've, I've, I've i'm you know i often get emotional during films but there was a point that literally probably like 25 minutes in i had to pause it have, get my cry out and then start yeah. it again and it is just for some reason it just kind of got me yeah and it had me right the way through to the end yeah we, i don't think either of us could uh, recommend this anymore it's uh, the sound of metal and it is available on amazon prime now and so for the last of our reviews this week and it's one that right across the whole team here we have been looking forward to this one for a good 12 months plus and we're really glad to say finally we have all seen emerald fennel's movie directorial debut uh, promising young woman starring carrie mulligan so just to give you a little bit of background on this a young woman haunted by a tragedy in her past takes revenge on predatory men unlucky enough to cross her path chris you've seen it kev you've seen it i've now had the opportunity to see it and gentlemen where do we begin? What a film. That's a good start. I um I think I managed to see it just prior to you guys seeing it. Yeah. And we were going to talk about it and we were like no we have to wait for everyone to see it first. And I gave you guys a couple uh like it's really good. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Um <laughs> it is one of my favorite films of the recent years. And uh, it's a movie that just keeps on giving. It feels like it's going to end, and then there's more. And then it goes further than you think it will, and there's more. And I love Carrie Mulligan, as you know, and the listeners at home know. Uh, We talked about her recently uh, with The Dig. Um, I was introduced to her through Doctor Who and then An Education, which is also a brilliant film. So she's brilliant. She's... She's phenomenal, as per usual. One of the people that surprised me the most was Bo Burnham is in it. And in my mind, in my visceral memory, um, he just brings me back to my high school because I'm not saying he's not now, but he was mainly known as a uh, comedy performer. Yes. And... That's how he was passed around through YouTube clips during my high school. 
um, the cheeky comedy on the edge stuff that that we weren't supposed to be looking at, but we definitely were. <laughs> um, and he surprised me. I was. It took me a second because I was like, I haven't seen your face in a long time, and the last time I've seen it is on you, on stage, playing a piano, talking about um, other things, yeah. <laughs> raunchy topics. Um, you can feel the, the the sort of cheeky touch of writer director Emerald Fennel, who who was the showrunner for Killer Eve, and you can feel sort of those dark satire elements seeping in throughout this yes so our main protagonist who is carrie mulligan um she is ruthless in her passion for revenge that's how i'll put it she's ruthless in her passion for revenge her best friend who suffered uh nina who suffered a sexual assault perpetrated by the men in her life and carrie mulligan's character takes it upon herself to um, make amends is almost the wrong word. It's a revenge thriller. There are uncomfortable moments in this film, and that is the point. And if you don't feel certain scenes to be uncomfortable, then you're the type of person this film is talking about. <laughs> it's got a message, and it goes to its it goes to the ultimate extreme to get it across to the audience, and rightly so. Mm. Again, we've talked about not giving too much away. Uh, with our reviews so i i've been warned <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i'm i love it yeah same here as i say it was one of my it's my film of the year so far uh so sound of metal following that was always going to be a tall task uh, but this i just found to be pitch black very 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 funny very entertaining but at the same time as you say chris really uncomfortable and mm-hmm. just absolutely devastated. But like you say, with um, with Emerald Fennel, I think her direction as well as the writing is so good. Again, she frames things so well, and it just and the film just looks incredible as well. It's it's shot so so well. What's really interesting about you saying that is because thinking back on the cinematography of the yeah. film, it has an element of. I don't know how to explain this. The cinematography has an element of innocence, which plays into Carrie Mulligan's character and and what she then goes on to do. Mm. And so leaves the um, audience with this weird false sense of security. Like, the dialogue scenes are very much standard, off to the left, off to the right scenes. Yeah. And then, I don't think we get any Dutch angles in it, but there are moments that you go, oh yeah, I for- I've almost forgotten that th- this is this dark. Mm. And that's what makes a good drama yeah. is having, you know, those light moments that you can forget. Good good drama has good comedy in it. And so this toes the line between both of them incredibly well. Yeah, really, really well. Kev, how about you? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. It's one of my films of the year. And the funny thing is that when you get a film that's kind of as poignant and of its time as this one, I mean, Chris talking about uncomfortable moments, the film's full of them, but I don't think it's as big as the uncomfortable moment that we currently find ourselves in in society when it comes to this subject. Yeah. And I think this is a film yep. that 10 years ago wouldn't have had the same impact or probably wouldn't have even been conceived or written um, as it has now. 
um and it made me question myself i had to you know some of the times i was looking back i was like oh my god you know there's you know all of these things there's all of these characters that are going through these kind of realizations as well and everything um mm. and obviously i'm pleased to say that no, i've done nothing in my past that, that you know that some of these guys have done um but i think with um emerald fennel i think the way she's coming across during award season as well in the way that she talks and the way she picks up awards and the speeches she's given she is the conduit for this at the moment she's like the person that's kind of soaked up all of this stuff and i think she's the perfect vessel to get this across on screen um and i think carrie mulligan's performance is exceptional bo burnham like you said i think if bo burnham who i you know again i adore bo burnham as a musical comedian um check out kanye west rant um if you're just looking for a quick sample of bo burnham on youtube (laughs) i'd recommend that one that's that's terrific uh but also as well i think bo burnham's coming into his own as a filmmaker as well when i talked about eighth grade um a little while ago as well i think him being in that and directing that you can kind of see that he is a voice that i think you know is coming up and because he's so likable having him cast in this film it's the perfect casting because you don't know which way it's going to go but also Mm. as well they are looking because i was fortunate enough to watch it on dvd which meant it come with a commentary so i've watched the commentary as well and when you break down the commentary um they said they intentionally cast actors from sitcoms actors who are notoriously known in pop culture as good guys um and that's very clever when when you there were moments in it that i that i really uh, picked up on like, oh, it's that actor. Yeah, you've got actors from New um, Girl, you've got actors from V. Yeah, you've got actors, for, you know, and you're going for all of these films. And you're like, oh, like the opening sequence. You've got three of like arguably like you know the most amusing guys in current comedy. You got a split from V, but and I was like, oh, this is terrific. This is brilliant. And you get that, which is like, oh, brilliant. Everybody. I mean, you've got McGlovin for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As like one of you know one of the one of the initial kind of dates that she takes home, and you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh, well, McGlovin's not going to be horrible and stuff like that. And that's the funny thing is that I think this, oh God, this is going to sound so cliche, but this film holds up a mirror to society, and yeah. you know it makes you yeah. question yourself and question everything. And I think this is an important film, and I think this is an important film. Me it affected me so much but you know, i'm not going to say that this film it was it wasn't made for me but it was made for me if you know what i mean you know yeah. in that kind of sense is yes. it, this is this is i'm hoping every person this is probably the most awkward date movie you could ever go and see <laughs> so it's probably just as well that a lot of people are seeing it on streaming and they're not taking their get you know oh i like a carrie mulligan film let's go and watch this because the conversation <laughs> i have spoken about this film more with my uh, fiance who I watched it with and more with friends and than any other film in recent memory and that could be because of the current lockdown conditions that we're in as well but yeah. I, I, I almost miss the fact that I didn't go straight to a pub after with a group of friends and sit down and talk of this because talk about unpacking there is so much to unpack here oh, on so absolutely. many different levels and yeah it deserves to be watched again and again and again it deserves to clean up at award season and I'm hoping that this film will be as well regarded as hopefully I mean, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because I, I can't see a spate of these types of films coming along, or that certainly not films that no. nail it like this. But the support yeah. cast, the writing, the directing, uh, and of course, like I said again, powerhouse performance by Carrie Mulligan. I think it, it is deservedly so um, getting get a, you know, going to clean up at the awards. And I, I you know, I think that I, I, don't, I was hoping this film when I first started talking about it, and I think I even said, didn't I, this year? I said the film I'm most looking forward to this year is Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Back in january or whatever it was um and i'm it it exceeded even those high expectations for me i think it's one of those films and uh, you know i've I've always said we want to try and preserve kind of the magic of discovering films for yourself we could quite easily go uh, through and unpack this film and talk about the themes and 
progression and the the discussions that need to happen as a result of it it's it's a film that you know it's needed at the moment i think people need to be having these discussions and it needs to be for those people that that maybe watch it and do feel uncomfortable because they recognize something in them it's for them to turn turn the light on themselves and question their own behaviors and their own responses to these to these things and it's 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 really interesting that the film it does predominantly focus on the men in these situations rightfully so but there are there are women that are involved with the the progression of the story that also have uh, the mirror sort of held up to themselves oh, yeah. and i think it's yeah. it's so interesting that there's there's that enabler and that that's one of the things it's not just the perpetrators it's the enablers that are that are also kind of having given that scrutiny during the film and i think that's that's really interesting i think it's and that's one of the things that i found really really interesting and exciting about it as well as the fact that throughout everything it does it's so damn entertaining it just holds you even when it's uncomfortable it's still watchable it's still uh it you know it's still wittily written the 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 progression of the story is still really really interesting and it grips all the way through and you do have those moments of kind of comfort and those moments of discomfort yeah i think it's i think it's been i think it's really really worth the attention that it's been getting during award season particularly for emerald fennel for the writing and for the direction and i think as both of you said carrie mulligan is just she's ferociously good in it a really 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 great performance and you compare that to the dig that's just you know a couple of months ago and it's such a different role it's it's such a different actor that that they almost feel of two completely separate physical ages not just sort of in terms of the time and place of the films that she is so convincing in both roles as a a young woman and as a as a lady that you know is is that bit older with those the, you know the, the the physical issues that she has in the dig i just think she is a fantastic actor and again well worth the the attention and particularly the awards attention that hopefully you know that will be coming her way so we could literally go on for another 10 more minutes about promising young woman but as i say we want to kind of preserve the the surprise and the joy of discovering cinema for yourself so go and discover it because it's on sky cinema and now tv now uh so if you have subscriptions to those i well we strongly urge to go and check it Mm -hmm. out it's unlike anything you'll have seen for a long time and as well as being damn entertaining, it's also going to really provoke some interesting discussions and hopefully a bit of introspection in a lot of people. And so this podcast is going to be released the weekend of the 2021 Academy Awards. And it's something that I particularly, uh, as gents, we've always enjoyed the Oscars and the uh, you know staying up and watching them and uh, being able to discuss the films of each year so we're going to have a little bit of uh, an oscars discussion talk about some of the nominees uh, talk about some of our feelings about them and hopefully point you in the direction of something that you might enjoy watching uh, now it's going to be a bit of a funny one because with the uh, the way that the pandemic has 
kind of affected release schedules this year. We have a situation where there are a few films, particularly in the Best Picture and uh, some of the other categories, that uh, haven't yet been released because of the delays to the release schedule. Uh, so while it can't be a complete kind of review of all of the Oscar nominations, we'll talk about the ones that we have seen and talk about our feelings about them and... Uh, yeah, hopefully you'll uh, you'll find something, as I say, that you'd be interested in seeing. So we're going to start with the the best picture nominations. I so just this say, year... it's, it's what one thing is really important to notice because they moved the ceremony back by two months from Feb twenty eighth to April twenty fifth. Yeah. Um, what you know, we've got what's that eight nominations in best picture? We would have only had three had they have held it in February. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're quite uh, quite fortunate that uh, that they have put it back, so we've been able to have more nominations. Uh, so the first category is going to look at uh, Best Picture. So the nominees are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal and Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, of those, we're still waiting on The Father to be released. So that's the uh, the family drama with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman. Olivia Colman. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's that's some heavyweight talent right Very there. Very excited. Uh, we're not getting that until June with a cinema release. Uh, so we're, we're not able to give you our opinions on that at the moment. And similarly, Nomadland... Uh, directed by Chloe Zhao and starring the brilliant, brilliant Francis McDormand, actually doesn't get released in the UK, well, internationally, until the uh, 29th of April when Disney Plus are releasing it through their star. Yeah, that will fill the gap. That will fill the gap of Winter Soldier and <laughs> that weekend. And then Tolkien. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's it's bizarre because the Father and Nomadland are kind of like the two the, the two favourites. So I think it's almost probably good because they're getting a lot of coverage at the moment. So it's almost yeah. good that we're not talking about those. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I mean, going down the list, there's not a film out of all of those that I've seen this year that I have really kind of taken against. Uh, you know, we've we've reviewed. I think pretty much all of them uh, throughout different podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm leaning towards out of all of them, promising young woman as 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 kind of my favourite. I really really like that. I, I, again, I'd say probably Sound of Metal second, but again, I've got so much time for for Judas and the Black Messiah. I know both me and Craig were big fans of that. I thought Mank was was decent. It was a was a really good film. Uh, but you know, as, as we were saying off the air, as Kev said, don't think it's finch's year this year uh, minari is is lovely and you know anything that gives a a smaller film more of a platform is is great uh, and trial of chicago 7 i think is it's just good entertainment i think that would be a a controversial choice because i think it's had a bit of a, a bit of backlash online since being released but i found it you know perfectly entertaining how about you gentlemen yeah i think with uh, sorry chris if you don't mind me going first is that right Go Thank you. It. I think um, having not seen Judas and the Black Messiah, I think what I'm going to do is, is I would very much like the sound of metal to get this, but I think Promising Young Woman's the edge because of its place in time. And it would be great if at the end of this year that was the film that won it. So I think it's important for a film like Promising Young Woman, Nomadland and The Father Aside, because I think Nomadland's going to get it. 
Um, but Promising Young Woman, I think, would deserve to win it. It's got that edge because of the year and its importance. Sound of Metal, I would love, obviously, because of everything I've mentioned before. Mank, and with Scott, I think technically it's amazing, and I'm, I'm sure that will sweep up in the technical categories. But it's yeah. you know it's not you know if, if you were to if, you know to look at that it, in the sense where both with this and the same point for Trial of the Chicago Seven, you know, if the Social Network isn't going to pick up, pick up an Academy Award, I doubt Mank or the Trial of the Chicago Seven would pick up those awards. I think the Trial of the Chicago Seven was a good film. Um, but in my opinion, it, it, it's not the strongest from anyone involved. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah, if, if I had to choose one, Promising Young Woman, but if Sound of Metal got it, which I don't think it will, um, I'd be very happy to. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I, I would love, I, I can't wait to be surprised by, by The Father because of just the people in it. Mm. I think in terms of uh, characters and acting, that's going to be pretty great. But I think the fact, Promising Young Woman's uh, message transcends the film I think that's more important yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. so moving on to best director and again there's, there's another one in here that we've not yet had a chance to, to see uh, it's the Danish movie Another Round starring Mads Mikkelsen and Thomas Vinterberg uh, the director has been nominated that's another one that's been getting really strong word of mouth so I'm looking forward to that when again it's another one that's held out for a cinematic release Fincher is in there for Mank, and again, it's uh, it, it's a it's a, a great sort of visual piece, certainly. Uh, Lee Isaac Chung from Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. So, of the three that I've seen, they are all visual feasts and beautiful, and really, really beautifully directed. I think I, I think it's it's Emerald Fennel's to lose personally out of all of them because I think. Uh, the way Promising Young Woman is shot, it's not just kind of... Whereas Minari is, is a lot of sort of really beautiful, sunlit, kind of languid, long takes. I think the direction of Promising Young Woman and, and Emerald Fennel's direction actually really propels the story. And I think, yeah, I think it's a great debut. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with that. I think Emerald Fennel, again, I think it, time was where the best director would usually pick up best picture as well. And that's in recent years, um, you know, th there have been exceptions to that. So I think what might happen, for example, is Nomadland, pretty similar to the BAFTAs, I think Nomadland might get best picture, but Emerald Fennel might pick up Promising Young Woman. And I think you're right, Scott, in that sense, because, it, it, because the tone, it's all about the tone. And I think mm. if you were to look at those, all of those films, um, again, I've not seen another round, but I've listened to what you said about Minari, Scott. I think you'd probably say that the trickiest task to keep the balance would have it would have fallen on the tightrope of promising young woman. So I think she deserves that acclaim. Plus, as well, I can't wait to hear her speech because her speeches have been great. So, Chris, have you seen have you seen any of the others other than promising your woman in the director category? Uh, I'm just having a look. I have not. I I would be. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the other other way around as well. If it was No Man Land, No Man Land for directing and and promising young woman for for feature. That's but. it. I think with No Land, I can't comment, but I know I've I've seen the trailer a couple of times, and it does look like that. You know, really, really beautiful capturing the kind of the, the great American landscape and mm -hmm. there, there's a real kind of beauty about that it looks like they're all kind of really really sort of visual well the three that I've seen and Nomadland again I'm looking forward to another round so I, but unfortunately yeah. can't comment 
I think a lot of it with No Matter. The reason I'm bringing it up is, is, is nothing to do with the quality of the film, which I don't know is good or bad. I mean, the reviews look great. Um, yeah. I'm going purely on buzz and politics. So I think it's Nomadland will pick it up due to the buzz and politics and everything like that, the same as it did, gotcha. same as it did for Baptist. Yeah. Um, no reflection on the film at all. Um, obviously, I'd love Promising Young Woman to pick up both, but um, yeah, I think Nomadland will probably edge it because that's the way the tide's turning. But, you know, maybe we'll have an, a La La Land moonlight year again. Ooh. We, don't, we don't want an exact... Not, not an exact, no, not an exact one. <laughs> so I'm um, using the variety website list to go through the nominations. So the next one up is the best actor in a leading role. And so Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yeun for Minari. Of the four that I've seen out of those, all great performances, but I have to say, as much as I like Gary Oldman in Mank, Stephen Yeun is great, but I, I didn't, I didn't connect with him in the same way as I did with Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal, and particularly Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think there's a very, very good chance that Chadwick Boseman picks up a posthumous Oscar. We've been, we've been calling it since the the trailer was first released for Ma Rainey's yeah, Black Bottom, it's and bizarre, it would, isn't it? It would be Cause... deserved because it is just such a a wonderful performance what kind of a footnote to an incredible albeit cut short career what i wouldn't give to, you know have him be able to step up and actually collect it because i think in truth it, you know it, it's it's likely to be a posthumous win for him but in any year he would be in there and he would be a favorite to win uh, regardless I, I... I was kind of hoping in this way because it's like obviously because of my thoughts of the sound of metal, I think Riz Ahmed and what he put himself through would be would be absolutely superb. Yeah. And I think unfortunately, I'm hoping Riz Ahmed's got he'll have more opportunities, perhaps with the end of this trilogy as well, to to kind yeah. of like you know to have that opportunity again. Chadwick Boseman, I was hoping was going to get nominated in the supporting category, which would have given him the edge, I think, in that. Yeah. Um, because this is a this is I mean like go back like Heath Ledger time this is a leading role this isn't supporting yeah, and I yeah. think because of that that's why the it's a bit more fierce he didn't pick up the BAFTA that went to Anthony Hopkins didn't it yeah and I th- I think that that's the thing where it's it, it's almost like uh, it, it's almost like having not seen the father you know we, we I, I I have no doubt in my mind that that is an exceptional performance yeah but again if we're politicking and we're talking about buzz and all that kind of stuff. It would be a shame for Riz Ahmed to lose out, but especially for Chadwick Boseman to lose out. Yeah. And I would have said a week ago, before you know, Globes and Oscar, uh, Globes and Baftas and all that started happening, I would have thought, okay, well, Chadwick Boseman hands down, especially if he gets nominated in supporting. The moment he got nominated in leading, I was like, okay, well, the, you know, the competition will be a little bit more fierce, but only because of the way things have been going recently, I'm thinking there's a chance he might not get it, and I think that that might echo a little bit after. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's tough because I think uh, politics aside, it's one of those things of who who is best in their role when it comes down when it comes down to it. And I think because the competition is is hot, I think it would be difficult to say that it doesn't come down to politics in some aspect because I can't say I, we can't we can't talk about Anthony Hopkins, mm. but between the two, Chadwick and Riz, I I would say in terms of technical acting and the characters and what they go through and what is portrayed it's neck and neck between mm, them yeah i think also as well with the actor in the leading and the supporting is i think riz ahmed had more opportunity to demonstrate that whereas yeah. chadwick boseman because he was being marginalized yeah. as possibly supporting 
he's only half a film do you know what i mean yeah there's that kind of thing whereas maybe riz Ahmed had more chance to demonstrate what chadwick boseman couldn't out of the three that i would class as favorites anthony hopkins i've not seen as as we say but we know we know the pedigree at work there again it's it's one of those where i wouldn't begrudge any of them winning to be honest with you but i just i mm. it's certainly leaning towards those first three and i, I again it's it's a toss-up yeah. between them yeah so moving on to Best Actress in the Leading Role, uh, we've got Viola Davis, the brilliant Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and what a force of nature she is in that. Andrew Day in The United States versus Billie Holiday, uh, Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, Francis McDormand in Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. Now, I'm not in the best place to kind of comment on this because I've not had a chance to, to see Pieces of a Woman or The United States versus Billie Holiday. I think in terms of... It, you know, if you're going off the buzz, Andra Day has apparently given an absolutely fantastic performance in what I think generally critically hasn't been regarded as the best of films, but she's apparently fabulous in it. Uh, Pieces of a Woman, again, it's I, I've avoided this one because of the the subject matter, and I, I feel it could be there could be sort of a trigger issue for me on, on this one, so it's one that I need to be in yeah. in the right mood to to watch. But I. Um, but again, it's it's another film that we've heard great uh, great reviews around the performance, uh, most definitely. And again, we've not seen we've not seen Nomadland, but we know Frances McDormand is absolutely fantastic. She's one of my favourite actresses working today. I think she's uh, she always puts in a great shift, whatever she's in. And of course, Kerry Mulligan in Promising Young Woman, which again, as uh, we we've kind of covered this an awful lot throughout the course of the uh, the course of the episode but yeah I, I would like viola davis or carrie mulligan the pair of those would be that would be terrific vanessa kirby again i've not seen it i've got no excuse yeah. for not seeing it i should have seen it by now but i have yeah. heard exceptional things about that performance above all else over the film um under day again i don't know enough about that nor have i seen the film but yeah i'm with you scott i think she's the strongest part of what is uh, has been yeah. kind of like pitted as a sort of like not, not a, a terrific overall film um, but um, yeah, as much as I want Carrie Mulligan to win it or Viola Davis to win it, I think it will probably go to Francis McDormand. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, the opposite side mm. of that is I, I really enjoy Vanessa Kirby in pretty much everything she does, yeah. and I know how strong she can be on stage and on film. So, and I can't, I can't uh, comment because I haven't seen the film. Um, but I, I kind of wouldn't be surprised if she. Yeah, it was a surprise as well. Yeah, I could see that. I could see it's that. tough to say without seeing the film. Again, I say it's the subject matter, isn't it, for that? And maybe, and I will yeah. make a point of seeing it before the award. In fact, I will watch that before the awards next week. I think she might have the edge in terms yeah. of. I don't know. That's so tough because Carrie Mulligan's great. I think, it, but she might just have the edge on Carrie Mulligan. I think it might also be if the people, if the if the Academy overall sees the film as something that needs yeah. to be acknowledged. It's one of the only categories they can do that in. Yes. But it's a major category, mm. which might count against yeah. itself as much as that's something that might be done. Because it's such a major yeah. category, it might be knocked back. So it's that's a weird one. I think that's yeah, that's that could go any way. And I think that's probably tough, with, yeah. if she were Definitely. to get it, we'd probably watch it and go, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. No doubt in my mind that that is as strong as everyone says it is. So let's move on to the best actor in a supporting role. And I have things to say about this category. I thought you might. <laughs> yes. Um, so the the nominees are Sasha Baron Cohen in Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya and 
Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. Leslie Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami, and Paul Racy in The Sound of Metal. So, first things first, we've done both of the actor categories, and there is one performance that is missing from this year's nominations and has been pretty much snubbed throughout the whole of awards season, and that is Delroy Lindo in The Five Bloods. He was just phenomenal, and I, I, if you'd have told me a year on that he wouldn't get nominated, I would have been, I would be shocked because he was, he was just fantastic. I really, really, really liked both Lakeith Sanfield and Daniel Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah. I really liked Leslie Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami, but I also think that could have gone one of three ways because I thought. Kingsley Benadir was great as Malcolm X. I thought Aldous Hodge was brilliant as Jim Brown in One Night in Miami. I think, you know, with consideration, I think Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke was was probably the most memorable out of all of them. But I thought, you know, it was a strong performance in a film of strong performances. Paul Racy, again, we talked about it in the review earlier. I thought he was great in Sound of Metal. And... I'm interested by the inclusion of Sasha Baron Cohen in you might the Trial be. of Chicago 7. I don't... I, I personally, if I was nominating any supporting actor performance in Trial of Chicago 7, I would have put Mark Rylance in there. Mm-hmm. I just... I thought Mark Rylance was... He's the highlight of most films that he's in. Yeah. But he was just so good in this. And, <laughs> and he, he was my takeaway from the whole film. He was the, the one character out of all of them he was the one performance out of all of them that i really i really was impressed by so yeah I, i'm a little surprised by i, I didn't dislike sasha baron cohen in trial of chicago 7 i just thought mark rylance was he was mark rylance so he was great so. i i kind of i kind of think a similar thing I, th- I think it's i think for the same reason that um Sasha Baron Cohen probably doesn't deserve that nomination is the same reason that Delroy Lindo didn't get that. It's the fact that they're big ensemble films yeah. and people generally don't stand out to that degree in ensemble films because as good as Delroy Lindo was, there were exceptional performances in that film yeah. all round. Oh God, but yeah. maybe not enough yeah, but not enough to warrant that. So why did Sasha Baron Cohen get it? Which makes me think politically he may have got a nomination for Borat. He didn't get a nomination for Borat because they felt that if they backed Chicago Seven when they put the when they kind of put their for your considerations forward um, that they had more chance of getting him in for Trial of the Chicago Seven while also acknowledging that it's his time for both films if that makes sense yeah yeah so there's that kind of element to that I think possibly because I certainly don't think that session but I don't think that was of the two performances I don't think even think that was the stronger one no you know of 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 Borat or the Trial of the Chicago Seven and had he been in for Borat we probably wouldn't be having this conversation we'd go yeah fair enough. Yeah. We'd probably be having a, a wow, Borat got nominated conversation, <laughs> yeah. which I think is yeah, I think it's it's great. Um, that, well, I mean, we'll yeah, get on I mean, to it in a minute. Yeah, into- we're about yeah, well, I mean, we're about to have that conversation. And I know that the funny thing was with with when we talk about her in just a moment is Sasha Baron Cohen actively backed that campaign over his own. Yeah. Good. So I don't know if Good. someone was like, well, he deserves something too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a real, real toss-up for me because Daniel Kaluuya, I think, is probably out of the four of them my favourite of of the performances. But Paul Racy was great. Leslie Odom Jr. is great. Lakeith Stanfield's great, and you know, Sasha Baron Cohen was good. 
but I yeah I think I think it's probably Daniel Kaluuya's this year. I don't know, man. I think he and, and Stanfield might just split they that might, vote. They may they may cancel each other out. Um, and it just I think they want to acknowledge the film. Yeah. Because I think Judas and the Black Messiah had that not have come out. I I expect Five Bloods would have been in there. Possibly possibly but i i'm i'm really pleased lakeith stanfield got some recognition as well because he's again been a little bit overlooked throughout awards season and he's just he's been good in everything that i've seen him in and uh, you know he's he's a real real one to watch moving forward so he's got a lot, a lot of strings to his bow yeah isn't absolutely so i i expect that he's i i expect he's going to win awards in the future but they might not necessarily be for performance there'll be other things so moving on to the last of the performing categories and it's the actress in a supporting role so, would you know it, uh, Borat, subsequent movie film, has been nominated. <laughs> so, Maria Can Bakalova, I... she's, uh, yeah, she's been nominated. Uh, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman for The Father. Amanda Seyfried for Mank. And Yu Jung Yoon for Minari. Chris, you were going to say yeah. something. Oh, I was just going to say, I think everyone should at least visit the Oscar website just to see how ridiculously long the Borat na- name of the film is <laughs> in its category. It's pretty great. Um, and they read it out when they when they read the announcements out. They read them that they they read that out in full oh every time they mentioned Borat. They read that out in full. That's brilliant. <laughs> wonder if I wonder if he does it on purpose. Probably. <laughs> I know this, wouldn't put anything past him. Yeah. A little side note about that: there's about to be a new load of specials on Amazon um, from the, the, essentially what was like alternate takes and alternate versions of films, oh. stuff that would have normally would have normally turned up on DVD. Okay. But obviously, we don't live in a world of physical media anymore, yeah. so obviously they're going out on oh. those. So we'll see plenty more of Mir- Maria. Oh, fantastic! Backlover. As we should. So I, I think I mean I'd be 100% behind her uh, winning that purely because. Uh, Glenn Close, Hillbilly Elegy. I don't know if any of you guys saw no. that. It was it was it was dull. Yeah, dull as hell. Um, but great actors and great performances. And the whole time you're sitting there going, "Why isn't this better?" Uh, she was great in it, but she's done nothing nothing we haven't seen before. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so Glenn Close there. Amanda Seyfried, I think, um, is kind of like wasn't featured. And when you look at like, if you were to compare the kind of workload between Amanda Seyfried in Mank and Maria Bakalova in uh, Bora. Yeah then you kind of like you see that split and you go like well clearly it's her it's maria's it's maria's award yeah. olivia coleman again we can't talk about the father but i think i think politically she's had her time in that sense um um but i don't know uh, and obviously scott was scott's yeah. talking about minari do you think she stands out over any of i those? think i think she does um i think to to go too deep into it sort of goes into spoiler territory a little bit but there's a really really lovely progression with the character uh, and it's a it's a really really great performance, uh, and she's she's funny, she's touching, she's yeah she she's great, she's really really good. I have to say I've never been a massive Amanda Seyfried fan, but in Mank I just found her really delightful. I just thought she was she was really watchable and, and really good. So it's it's nice that she's been recognised. But that's um, lovely to hear actually because yeah. I, I haven't seen Mank and 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 yeah. her name her name attached to anything it doesn't make me not watch it but just makes me go oh okay yeah you know but it's nice to hear that oh man on the flip side i i actively seek out stuff she's in and if you haven't seen it see first reformed with her and ethan hawke what was that? absolutely amazing first reformed first, ah, i've heard i've heard reformed. very good okay. film, very good things about that 
watch trust me watch first reformed and your opinion of amanda seyfried will go from one to the other and you might actively seek out oh, stuff well, that's exciting in. i will yeah. definitely she is absolutely that. terrific in that now we could go on and talk about pretty much every category but we are going to wrap it up with i think it's probably one of my favorite categories it's the best animated feature film <laughs> uh and it's a it's a reasonably strong field this year uh you've got onward uh, you've got over the moon which i've not seen which is a netflix release uh short and the sheep movie farmageddon Yes, uh, Soul and uh, Wolf Walkers, which is an Apple TV Plus uh, exclusive and is done by the Irish animation studio that did uh, Song of the Sea. Yes, oh. it's a, it's apparently one of the Irish folklore yes. trilogy. Now I've I've not had an opportunity group. to see that. I might hopefully get an opportunity before the the ceremony, uh, but it's got very very strong reviews, and I think. In terms of in terms of odds, is Soul's probably biggest rival. I mean, I I love Onward, and I th- I think I think in other years yeah. it it because of the Pixar <laughs> the Pixar Association may may have oh, been up there. I I I'm a fan. It made me it made me fill up. I've not seen Over the Moon. Anything Ardman just gets a big green tick in my book. So. Um, yeah, I think in relation to the film I most enjoyed in that category, Shaun the Sheep movie, Art Farmageddon, was the uh, was the most enjoyable of them all. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. I, I I really enjoyed it. I think Soul is still because Soul was very close to being my film of last year, so uh, you know it's, it's top top four. Uh, so it's going to yeah. take some and, uh, some some go to beat, but I just love the fact that Ardman are getting more love and. Anything that again gets more eyes on Ardman films is great because I think sometimes they don't get yeah. they don't get the love and they don't get the audiences they want. Basically, translated, I'm still bitter about Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists not getting a sequel. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> I've said I've said my piece. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm with you there. I think I think Soul will take that away only because I think if you put Soul into the main feature category uh, for um, Best Picture. I think that, that we'd be talking about that as a potential contender. Yeah. That's how good it is. And that's how and that's mm. how recognised a lot of people have... Uh, you know, I think, again, politically, that'll win that hands down. Yeah, unfortunately, absolutely. you know, it's, it's unfair for others. Not that Soul's not great. I love Soul. But, um, yeah, I would love to have seen Sean the Sheep take that away. Definitely. <laughs> Excellent. So that's our... I was going to say brief whistle stop tour through the uh, Oscar categories... <laughs> For this year, they're the kind of the main the main categories, uh, and our feelings on who's been nominated. Uh, obviously, if you've got your own feelings, sound off on our social media, which we'll give you the links to at the end of the episode and via our show notes. Uh, so we're approaching the end of the show. It's now time for our fortnightly pitch battle. If you've not listened to the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, uh, this is the part of the show where we all slightly lose the plot a little bit. (laughs) Basically, uh, the pitch battle is our regular game where we ask one of our listeners to provide us with an actor, an item and a film genre. We are then given five minutes to come up with our very own movie pitch, which we then present to each other and you, dear listener. So, this time out, uh, the the son of a friend of the show, uh, so Ruben Spaniel, who is Donna, who's given us a few of our previous uh, pitch battles. Uh, her son has provided us with our uh, pitch battle items this week. So, gentlemen, have you got your pens ready? Got my pens yes. ready. 
I shall present it to you now. <laughs> Our actor is the Oscar legend that is Mr. Robert De Niro. Okay. The item is a giraffe. Okay. <laughs> Our genre is an American Civil War movie. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so, we now have five minutes to put together our pitches but for you fair listeners we'll be back in about two seconds right gentlemen pens down pens are down pens are down down. it's time to present your pitches now while we were off the air uh, we decided on the order so this time round, our first presenter will be mr kevin haney take it away here we go robert de niro giraffe u.s civil war (laughs) It was a time of war, civil war, a war against man, and giraffe. They just want to be represented. (laughs) It was supposed to be a giraffe's tongue, that was terrible. (laughs) Hey, hey, you talking to me? Robert De Niro gives what Variety calls a performance to take the rancid taste of the war with Grandpa out of your mouth. (laughs) They, uh, they just want to be heard, sir. Yo. Yo. Giraffe. What do you want from me? you <laughs> <laughs> the giraffe again? Robert De Niro. In the neck of time. Oh. Brilliant. There we oh, go. Pretty bad. Nicely done. I in, in my head, doing a giraffe, going... I was trying to think what noises giraffes make, and I just thought they are, they're always licking stuff with their tongue, aren't they? So I thought it'd be like that, but I ended up doing more of a Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> but I didn't want to try it while we were doing it, otherwise, while we were do- in our five minutes, you would have just heard me down the phone going... <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, well done. Oh, that's that good. That's good. Right, Chris, go for it. Okay. The year is 1861. War has broken out. The Union versus the Confederates. Our young soldier fighting for his life. Supplies are low. He is waiting on reinforcements. After a shipment of endangered animals arrive by mistake, out steps the tallest, most beautiful giraffe our hero has ever seen. The battlefields are rough. The ground is hard. The wounds are deep. Love's wounds, that is. Love conquers all, including war. Robert De Niro in Gone with the Giraffe. <laughs> Brilliant. Well done, sir. Thank you. Excellent. Not as right. good as in the neck neck of time. That's in the neck of time. That, that oh. that's that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. I thought of that. I, I had on my thing. It said Robert De Niro dot dot dot, and in the neck of time was it came out of my mouth as I said it. <laughs> ah, amazing. <laughs> Excellent. Gone, gone with the giraffe, though, is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, right. go. <laughs> you almost went a little bit arny at the end there. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's my turn, then. It is. <clears throat> Two lost souls united in a hostile land. One is a Civil War general attempting to traverse enemy territory to get back to his men. The other, a giraffe, abandoned by his travelling circus. 
he will risk both of their necks to get them to the safety of home. <laughs> Coming this holiday season, Oscar winner Robert De Niro in A Tall Tale of War. <laughs> oh, that was good. Okay. That was good. Tall. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, uh, <sighs> as ever, sound off on our social media. Tell us what you thought. Uh, Unfortunately, what what everyone didn't get to see was Scott can do an amazing Robert De Niro physical impression, yeah. not it, it, vocal. But if anyone can see a picture of Scott doing that, if there was some way you could upload that, Scott, that'd be terrific. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see it. I can see it in my mind's eye. Yeah, I can feel it. Feel it coming it. through. <laughs> God, you do such amazing physical impressions over the radio. <laughs> I do. I do. It's this my it's my calling. <laughs> excellent right and so that brings us to the very last feature of the show and it is our regular ever-expanding spotify playlist tracks of the trade now the idea behind tracks of the trade is we love movie score music and they in the many forms that it comes in so what we're attempting to do is create a huge list of some of our favorite tracks from some of our favorite films or not just bits of music that we love from films and the idea is that we share them with you and hopefully you find something that you enjoy listening to so each week we all put our own suggestions forward although we do ask if you are listening and you do have anything in particular you'd love to have added to the list and you'd love to introduce us to please let us know via social media that would be brilliant so this week uh, i think kev is going to go first then myself and then chris appropriate enough with his track given the theme of today's episode is going to go at the end now we have gone with a theme this week that our theme is that we've gone for either oscar nominated scores or pieces of music from oscar nominated films so kev take it away sir not not only do i have an oscar nominated this one actually won the oscar for uh, best original score back in the Oscars in early 2014. It's Stephen Price's Gravity. Now, there's a selection of songs on this that I absolutely adore. Track one above Earth, which is brilliant, but I'm going to go for the big finale, which is the track of the title, Gravity. Absolutely brilliant. I think it's a heart-pounding score, Gravity, but also beautiful. Excellent. Um, what a brilliant film. choice and what a film. Yeah, what a film. Excellent. So mine is a little bit themed. We obviously had the discussion earlier around my brilliant trip to go and see Jurassic Park at the drive-in cinema and so I've opted because Jurassic Park won uh, Academy Awards particularly for its groundbreaking special effects uh, but one thing I didn't realise until I'd researched this that that iconic score was not nominated for an Academy Award that year John Williams who wrote the score and uh, composed it he was nominated for the brilliant Schindler's List which was actually the winner, I believe, of the, the Academy Award that year. But yeah, it just seems a travesty that this this uh, soundtrack that has basically seeped into public consciousness was pretty much yeah, it was uh, it was given a wide berth by those uh, in the selection committee. I've picked one of again one of the most iconic tracks and one of the the most goosebump inducing pieces of music in the whole film. I've gone for Journey to the Island. Uh, I say it's by John Williams from uh, Jurassic Park. And if you've seen the film, 
you will know the moment as you first take the helicopter ride into Isla Nubla and lands and they take the, the long drive towards the visitor centre and the various pieces of music that, that occur during that. It's just a really, really great suite of, of some of the motifs that will recur throughout the film and some of the most pulse pounding music and some of the most brilliant score music you will hear and being able to listen to it just the other day uh you know seeing the film on the big screen and having the pounding speakers blasting the, the music out it really really brought it alive for me again so there was only really one choice this week so it's journey to the island from jurassic park christopher mine this week is from one of the oscar nominated films for this year's oscars which we have Ooh. talked about extensively today it is from the film Promising Young Woman. And yeah. it is um, by the composer uh, Anthony Willis. And he has taken a well-known track. Um, I'll say, I'll preface that with when this happened in the film, it's a very poignant moment. There's something that is happening or about to happen. And I physically had to pause the film and giggle with glee because I could hear the progression of the notes and I went, is that what I think it is? It is what I think it is. It fits so well. Um, this is the track uh, Toxic from Promising Young Woman. It is a instrumental, almost horror version of the Britney Spears song. Um, and it's gorgeous. A, a lot of the music is gorgeous in that, but uh, that one especially made gave me gave me the ooze so um <laughs> yes yes great really good it really and it fits fits the sequence so so well i think that's three really really strong choices again we will provide a link to the uh, tracks of the trade playlist through the show notes which basically brings us to that part of the show where i tell you all about the show notes and the different links that you will find within there the first thing as i always say when i get to this point thank you for listening thank you for taking the time to download the monkey see monkey review podcast if you are a fan or if you have listened to us a number of times before or it's your first time and you're quite enjoying it please if your podcast provider gives you the opportunity to leave a review please do we love the feedback we love to find out that uh, that you're enjoying it we've got 10 five star reviews at the moment so that i'm really really pleased with oh but, thank you everyone yeah so subscribing and also leaving reviews also helps with the visibility of the podcast because we do this because we love it and you know whether 10 people are listening or 10,000 people are listening it doesn't matter we just enjoy doing it and we will continue to do so because we love it uh, but if you can share it and get the word out there we would really appreciate it and again if you could leave positive reviews just let us know how we're doing that'd be fantastic uh, the other things that you'll find on the show notes is uh, our links to our twitter feed so it's at msmrpod we also have an instagram where i post uh, regular pictures we try and update with our movies of the week and things that we're watching as well as letting you know when new podcasts are released we also do a little bit of mess around on twitter as i say 
promoting the podcast and sharing movie news when we can. We also have a Facebook group, uh, which is available, as I say, it's Monkey See Monkey Review. If you search on Facebook, otherwise we'll just leave you the link just to drop drop you straight into the page. If you ask to be added, uh, just answer a couple of the questions that are there. Just let us know how you've you've got to find us, and we'll let you in. Again, it's for sharing news and reviews. Uh, speaking of sharing uh, reviews, both me and Kev uh, have accounts on the app Letterboxd. Now, Letterboxd is a movie review app uh, which helps us diarise and log our, our movie reviews. So if you want to see a little bit of our written work and you want to follow us and see what we're watching, uh, we will drop links to both myself and Kev on the show notes as well. And we're also on email, which is uh, msmrpod at gmail.com. So drop us a line there. It's a lot to take in, hence the reason we put it all on the show notes. And we'll also give you some links to some of the Oscar nominations so you can check some of the, the wider nominations out as well. So... Without further ado, that brings us to the end of another Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. Again, thanks for your ears. We can't do it without you. But more importantly, thank you to both Chris and to Kev. As always, your input is legendary and I I love it. So there you go. Thanks for having me. for having us. And so all that remains for us to do is to say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, lovelies. Cheerio. Bye.